Yeah, that way we'll make sure we're covered on that. She, by the way, Miss Linda texted me during lunch and said she enjoyed Sunday school and was looking for the morning service, trying to find it, and um, said that she is feeling better and hoping to be here Wednesday night. So be praying for her. Uh, that's uh, an answer to prayer. So praise the Lord for that. Matthew chapter 28, very familiar passage. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Okay. Yes, it's on sermon.net, and just type in, in the search bar, just type in the word Keitha, and it'll pull up uh, all the sermons that we've done on it. Pardon me? If you just type in sermon.net in the address bar and go to that website. Not on on Google. I'm sorry, yes, I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you're asking. So, yes, we do stream to uh, sermon.net. We are working on, we had one week where it worked seamlessly to, to stream it also to Facebook. And we're working on that, trying to get the bugs worked out of it. But hopefully we'll be able to stream to both at the same time uh, starting next week. I've got uh, a call to put into the guy that helps us with the, that built the system for us. So, Sure. It's a big, been a big help. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, ma'am. So we're hoping to have all that worked out and streaming to both places. And then, of course, Brother Keith always has his as a backup to it. Uh, so I, I usually point people to him because he's almost more consistent than we have been back here uh, in recent days. So uh, we're hoping to get, now that we've got the new system in, uh, get everything set up the way it's supposed to be. And uh, so the guy's supposed to give us some training this week on getting the Facebook part of it working again. So I uh, hope to have that done by next Sunday. Uh, on a good note, and I failed to mention this morning, we had uh, all of our funds come in for our LED lights and got those ordered this week. And so praise the Lord for that. It's an answer to prayer. And uh, it's going to cut our electric, well, the, the lighting part of our electric bill down by about a third, uh, which will be helpful. That's a big part of our uh, electric bill here. And then um, uh, also uh, there's a possibility because of how bright these bulbs are that we may be able to only put three in instead of four in each of them. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, but if that's the case, we may be even cutting our electric even further down. So that would be a blessing. And uh, we reprogrammed our thermostats here recently uh, and should see a significant difference in our uh, a little more energy efficient programming uh, in our electric bill this year. So uh, excited about that. Yes, we decided everybody freezes in the winter and it gets hot in the summer. We're going to put out the little funeral fans this summer. And uh, we're going to have a really good electric bill, though. So. Uh, anyway, all right, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, and a very familiar passage of Scripture. <coughs> and uh, let's start in verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, we pray that you'll bless the afternoon's message and the lesson time together. We pray that you'll bless it and use it uh, to help instruct us and guide us and direct us in the things that we ought to be doing for you. And then, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have free reign and free course. Lord, help us to be sensitive uh, to what you would have for this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
we uh, have read a very familiar passage of Scripture, and we all understand, and I don't think we're, we're probably just preaching to the choir here if, uh, if I say, make this statement, that uh, when God saved us, He left us here on this earth so that we could now share the gospel with other people. And we have a task to do. He's, we call it the Great uh, Commission. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter number 5 for a moment. <clears throat> In Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 1, uh, speaking and, and keeping in mind that uh, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the what we call the hall of faith. And towards the end of chapter 11, it talks about the multitudes of martyrs down through the history and how that time would fail to speak of all of them. And then he goes on to say, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say uh, in continuation, Wherefore, because of all of these, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God gives every one of us a race to run. Uh, every one of us has a plan. God has laid it out before us. And He doesn't, His desire is not to keep it secret, by the way. I don't know why we get, uh, so wrapped up in the idea that it's hard to know what God's plan for our life is. We simply have to read His Word and then look for the opportunities that He provides for us to understand and know what His path and His will for our life is. In Galatians chapter number 5, Paul is addressing the church at, <coughs> excuse me, at Galatia. And verse number 7, he says this, Ye did run well. <laughs> and boy, what a condemning statement that is. Because he goes on to say, Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Now, I understand within the context that Paul is dealing with the fact that these folks at Galatia had turned away from some other doctrinal things that should have been held uh, true. But the principle is this, that there is the possibility in the Christian life and even in our good churches of having a time where we used to run well. We used to run the race that God gave us. But something or someone has come along and has hindered us from running that race the way that we should. And so the lesson today, uh, in light of Matthew chapter 28 and the Great Commission, the, the path that is laid before us of evangelizing this world and teaching the world the gospel, uh, the lesson this afternoon is going to be a lesson on uh, the enemies of evangelism. What are What are some of the things that would hinder us from running well in this area of our life? Uh, what are some of the enemies that we face? And so we're going to look at some of those. In Matthew chapter 28, we find that God has given to us uh, not a suggestion. He doesn't uh, tell us, hey, if you get around to it. Um, he doesn't say, by the way, could you do me a favor? But He is leaving the disciples with a charge of something that they are supposed to do until the Lord comes back. And this is something that I think, as a young man, I looked at, and I used to think, okay, God wants us to reach the entire world with the gospel. And this was my thought, that somewhere between the time of Christ ascending to heaven and His return to come and rapture us away, that sometime in those thousands of years that we are supposed to reach the world sometime within that time period. The problem is I misunderstood that as a young man. What Christ is after here is that in this generation, He's speaking here to the disciples directly, and He tells them that they're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the truth is this, that for every generation, God expects that generation 
to reach the entire world. Because if we only reach the world one time in 2,000 years, then what about the generations that follow that? Uh, the truth is we've all noticed and seen the decline of people who really ought to be teaching the next generation the things of the Lord, but we neglect to, don't we? We get busy with life. We get busy with distractions and things of this world and what Paul would refer to as uh, who hath hindered us. And so what are some of these things that if we are to look at the fact that uh, each of our generations, now um, I like to think that we have a few generations in this room, but we could probably narrow it down to probably uh, two, maybe three generations in this room. Lifespans that each of us have been responsible for reaching our generation with the gospel. And as we look around the world today, I think we would all have to look at it in a very sobering and a, and a, a sad frame of mind to realize that we have not succeeded recently, have we? There was a time in the book of Acts when the apostles were accused of being these who have turned the world upside down. And now we live in a day where we mentioned, I think it was in Sunday School or Church this morning, that I would be, I think I would be stretching the matter to say that we've reached 5%. We are not succeeding. And the reason is, I believe, in many cases that there are enemies, there are things that come into our lives that distract, combat us, cause us to falter, in this area of evangelizing the world. And I want us to look at those things today. The first one we find is something that we derive from Matthew chapter 28 and passages like this. In that God has given us this thing as a commandment. And the first enemy that I find in Scripture regarding our evangelizing this world is the enemy of disobedience. The enemy of disobedience. I know that it's very difficult for us sometimes to swallow this thought because I think in our heart of hearts, there's at least a desire in most Christians to see people get saved. The truth is, we allow things to come into our lives that keep us from this, and because we allow them to come into our lives to keep us from these things, we disobey. Let me, let me try to give you an illustration of that. Uh, my son's not here today, so I'm going to use him for an illustration. It's great to have kids that mess up, and uh, you can use them for illustrations. But uh, my son, he, he gets preoccupied. He's at that age where when he's engrossed in something that he likes to do, uh, he, he has a hard time focusing on what Dad tells him to do. And so the other day he was involved in something, and I, I said, Jonathan, I need you to, uh, to he was playing one of the, a video game with one of his friends, and I said, I need you to pause that, and I need you to go, and I gave him something I needed him to do. And he just sits there and he keeps playing for a second longer. And really, uh, in all honesty, I don't think he heard me because he was so engrossed in what he was doing. So I said it a second time. This time I made sure that he heard me. And uh, so he said, Dad, I don't have a pause button. And my response was, trust me, I will pause it for you. Uh, now, we laugh and chuckle at that. But the truth is, it wasn't that, that, that uh, Jonathan did not have a desire to do what I had said. It was that there was something else that was distracting him and causing him to be more interested in this than in doing what I had asked him to do. 
And because of that, because there was something that was enticing him to something else, something that was driving him on that he had more of an interest in, it caused him to be disobedient. We would look at that and say he was disobedient to me, wasn't he? And uh, so after dealing with that situation and understanding this, in our lives, the truth is, and, and we can be overly critical sometimes of, of things like what I just explained with my son or people that we know in our lives, uh, but the truth is, how often do there, are there things that we enjoy doing in our life that cause us to neglect what God has commanded us to do? There have been times that I've known there to be an opportunity an open door to share the gospel with someone. And yet I have been so engrossed and busy in what I've done. And here's the sad part. In some cases, I justified it because what I was busy doing was ministry work. And can I tell you this, that we've got to be careful that we don't get so wrapped up in doing the work of ministry that we fail to minister. There's got to be the commission, this this thing of reaching the people with the gospel. Uh, there's a lot to do. Uh, Sunday mornings are very busy for me as a pastor, and coming over and trying to make sure the buildings are warm enough uh, for some of the ladies, which apparently I'm not succeeding at, uh, making sure that the, the lights are on, things are, are ready for the day. And there's a lot to do with that. And if I'm not careful, I will spend so much time doing all of that work and never spend time with God on Sunday morning. Never spend time getting my heart prepared. Never spend time uh, praying for or helping someone that morning who comes to me with the burden and heartache. And the truth is, we get distracted, sometimes even for what we would consider to be good reasons. But it allows us and causes us to uh, entertain this first enemy called disobedience. We find a way to justify it, don't we? Well, I, I just didn't seem to have time years ago. <laughs> Years ago, when I was in Bible college, we had a fellow, a professor. In fact, this year he's, he's retiring finally from, um, from being a professor at the college that I attended. And he taught uh, Old and New Testament survey. And part of our outside work that we had to do was to read through the Old Testament in one semester. And then the next semester we had New Testament survey and we had to read through the New Testament two different times. Now, I never had him for my class in this particular class. I had him for other classes because I had actually taken Old New Testament survey at another college. But this fellow in the college I went to was known for having students uh, stand up in class before class. And uh, if they were not caught up on their schedule for reading through the Scriptures in their class. And uh, they would stand up and he would ask them why they were not caught up. In their reading, and it was amazing how many times I would hear stories of somebody saying, "Well, um, I got home from work late last night, and I just didn't have time to do my reading." And his comment, usually without fail, was, "Did you eat? Did you sleep? And you didn't have time for God's word?" <laughs> and that was a harsh way to put it. And to be honest with you, you and I would probably bristle if somebody came to us. But how easily we justify disobedience to evangelism simply because we can justify it through not having time. We can find time. When we come to a realization that someone's eternal destination hangs in the balance, can I say it this way? We better find time. 
The second one we're going to find in Philippians chapter number 4, if you will turn there with me. The second enemy of evangelism. <clears throat> By the way, we've been teaching on... Uh, we've been teaching on... Um, Leading a Mormon to the Lord. And uh, I'm going to share something with you. It may not have anything to do with the message this morning. But uh, God must know that probably sometime in the very near future, I'm going to have that opportunity. I don't, I'm hoping that's the case. Uh, because twice last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had a dream before I woke up, and I, I dreamed again after I went back to sleep. And both times... I came across a Mormon, and in my dream went through the entire process of sharing the gospel with them. So I'm telling you, I'm ready. I am ready to go. I don't know if it's because we've been teaching it on Wednesday nights, but two times last night in my heart, in my mind, I led somebody to the Lord. And I'm waiting for that time now because I am ready. I mean, I went through the whole process, and it went through smooth as silk, and I was ready and prepared, and I had all the answers for it. And uh, it just went well. So I'm looking forward now. I'm excited about the first chance I get because it's it's kind of like practicing, you know. Just uh, God put me through the through it twice last night, and uh, you know I, I tell you it, it ought to be the desire of our hearts, though, shouldn't it, to see people get saved and to see that there be opportunities for us to share the gospel. Philippians chapter number four. Look with me, if you will, in verse number seventeen. Uh, let's back up. Uh, let's back up a little bit. Uh, verse number. Uh, let's go to verse number twelve. Philippians chapter 4, uh, hang on a minute, I'm in the wrong chapter, sorry about that, excuse me. <coughs> Let's back up to verse um, 15, uh, 14. Notwithstanding, ye have, done, uh, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. Uh, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The second enemy of evangelism is selfishness. There are times that we have opportunity, but it may cost us something. Now, Paul here is speaking primarily of material gain and things that they sent once and again unto his material necessities. But isn't it uh, quite uh, interesting that we have things that are valuable to us that are both possessions and material, but some of them are not just possessions and material. Some of them are our time. Some of them are our interests. And how that we are so selfish sometimes when it comes to these things. Uh, there are times that it may cost us a little bit financially or materially uh, to be able to share the gospel with somebody, to go to a short-term missions trip. Uh, or to help support a missionary that's going on the field. And how that we oftentimes, it's one of the enemies of evangelizing this world when we become very, very selfish with what God has given to us. Do you realize that everything we have, God has given to us and entrusted to us to help us live our lives, for one thing, but secondly, to use those materials and resources to help evangelize the world, to help reach people with the gospel. And I know a fellow, a dear friend of mine, literally, uh, his, his name's Wayne Corfman. I hope he doesn't hear this because he'll be embarrassed that I used his name. But um, 
He lives in a he lives in a little RV trailer, tow behind trailer. He doesn't own it; somebody loans it to him because he came to our church years ago down in Florida. He and his wife. He was retired from the phone company, very well to do financially. He's, he's very well off financially, but he lives in a little trailer. And I've gone to his trailer at, in the middle of Florida winter, which is really kind of a fall time for us. But it would be 50 or 60 degrees in that trailer. And I've watched him as he refuses to turn the heat on. And he would get a light bulb and screw it into a a cord with a thing on the end and lay it across his chest to heat himself in his house. And the reason he did that was so he could save a few cents because he worked in our print shop. And he found out that if he saved one penny, he could print three tracks. He goes and he buys 10-pound bags of beans and rice, and that's what he lives on. Because he can live very, very frugal. It's not that the man doesn't have money. He's very, very affluent as far as the the financial setting of, of what he has. But he's so interested in getting a few more tracks out before he dies. Literally, a penny makes a difference. If he's walking down, I've watched him do it. If he's walking down the road and he sees a penny lying there, he'll reach over and pick it up because that will print three more tracks. Can I tell you this? This man knows what it is to give self-sacrifice. I'm not saying we all have to live that way. But it helps us to illustrate the point how selfish sometimes we are when it comes to the lack of evangelism for this world. I was reading a book years ago by a man by the name of Dr. Charles Keene. If you never, uh, he's the one that started all the Bearing Precious Seed stuff, if you know much about that, and uh, was very influential in that. He pastored the church at Milford, Ohio, for many, many years. And uh, when he left there, he started a mission uh, work called uh, uh, First Bible International. And uh, he wrote a book uh, entitled Thinking Outside the Box. If you, if you never read it, it's a tremendous read. But his, his premise in the book is this, that we only send two-tenths. Now this, this was heartbreaking to me. We only send two-tenths of one penny out of every mission dollar that we give to reach people who have never heard the gospel. The other 99.8 cents is spent to reach fields that already have a good witness on the field and people that have already heard the gospel. And I thought, if that's the case, no wonder we're not making any progress. Paul had made a statement in his ministry that he would not go to where the gospel had already been preached, but he wanted to go where the gospel had not been preached. And can I tell you this, that we become very, very selfish and we have our certain things that we are willing to give to when there's a world out there that doesn't even have one witness. There's a world out there that doesn't even have one verse of Scripture in their language. And no one's doing anything about it. The second enemy to evangelism is selfishness. And we don't always recognize it as that. We don't think in those terms usually. And so it becomes something that is really a sin of ignorance or an enemy of ignorance. The third one is we have false excuses, don't we? We have false excuses. How often we come up with something. I'm reminded of the three men who told the Lord, Lord, we will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And each of them had an excuse, didn't they? What, what What was Christ's 
take on their excuses. What did he think about them? He didn't think much of them, did he? They, they really were false excuses. They were, they were just light-hearted excuses. They were uh, shallow excuses at best. But I, I wrote down a few excuses that in my life, or I've either heard or I've uh, thought of in my own heart sometimes as I've uh, been, been there. But uh, one of them has been danger. That's been a big one. I've actually heard people say, well, uh, boy, I'm just worried somebody may pull a gun out on me. Or somebody may get on to me, you know, the dogs that are in the yard. I'm not worried about dogs unless I go to Brother Harold's house. But the, the dogs that are out there, most of them, if you're, if you're kind to them, you're careful with them, unless they have a beware of dog sign up there, most of them aren't going to bother you. They really aren't. But we talk about uh, excuses. Well, danger. It's, it's a danger out there. I'm worried about it. Uh, or uh, I'm scared to talk to people. Uh, I, I'm, I'm shy. Um, distance. Well, I couldn't go to a mission field. I couldn't go on a missions trip. Because, boy, that's, that's so many miles away, or that's, I'd have to get on an airplane to do that. Uh, sometimes it's distance with relation to our church or where we live. Uh, again, looking at saying, boy, I just can't drive that far. It's too far. Weather is another one. How often weather is an easy excuse. I remember in college, uh, we, we were uh, supposed to go out on bus routes uh, for a lengthy period of time on Saturdays. And while I was at college... They came out with a policy that if it dropped below zero, or it was zero or less, that we did not have to go out on that day and go visiting. And it was amazing to me how many days were one or two degrees. And we would lay in bed on those cold mornings and pray that God would let it drop just another degree or two. Why? Because weather became something that we looked forward as, as an excuse not to go. Weather becomes a problem. Uh, what about a language barrier? Sometimes, well, I can't go to a mission field because, boy, I couldn't speak the language. Uh, and then this one here is, is one that I think is, is certainly one that a lot of people use. I've heard a lot of preachers use this. Uh, well, the people there are just too hard-hearted. There's no sense in going. Uh, I heard one the other day, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine the other day. And said that this, this particular pastor didn't make a go of it. Because everybody in the area was Catholic. And I thought, boy, what an open mission field. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. And he was there for seven years preaching the gospel before he saw the first convert. Seven years. What if he had gone there for the first year or the second year or the third year? And somebody said, well, why aren't you winning more people to Christ? And he said, it's just too hard. I'm just going to go back home. Nobody can reach these people. He was in and out of the Burmese prisons. At some point, they had him uh, held up on his tiptoes. He was hung by his thumbs with these uh, little brackets and being held up. And he had to stand on his tiptoes to get relief. And they sent his wife in while he's in the prison and uh, had tried to get her to, to, to get him to, to, to recant and to go away and leave. And the mission board even that they had gone under uh, were sending requests saying, we need to know what your prospects are. You've been there for a while. There's been a lot of money spent to keep you there. And his wife came in and said, honey, they're, they're wanting to know what our prospects are. And Adoniram Judson's reply was, tell them that our prospects are as bright as the promises of God. And at his funeral, 200,000 Burmese came to his funeral that had been one to the Lord throughout his ministry. 
one of those is a direct descendant is a friend of mine named Zam Tang. Brother Zam is a dear friend, is now a national missionary back to Burma. Married a young lady that is a precious lady. That had Adoniram Judson years ago said, it's just too hard. I think what would have happened to that country? What would have happened to Brother Zam and his family? There are so many times that we come up with excuses, don't we? Years ago, there was a song that was written about excuses and how that the devil will supply them. There's never an, a, a, a lack, is there, of finding an excuse. The third or the fourth one that I think is an enemy of our evangelism is found in John chapter number 4. If you will turn there with me, John chapter number 4. <coughs> and that is the enemy called apathy. Apathy or, or non, not, not caring. Just kind of being in our own world and not really understanding that there are people that are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And, you know, we don't think of it in that term very often, do we? John chapter number 4, if you will, verse number 35. Say not ye there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Jesus was telling His disciples, let's, let's, not, let's not sit here and think, oh, we got plenty of time. You know, we can, we can take care of that down the road. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that later. When I was in college, I had, a, I had a roommate that came in one semester. He only lasted for about a month and a half. It's amazing how many times I'd come in from class and he'd still be in bed sleeping. And I, I used to ask him, I'd be like, what, what, don't you have any classes to go to? He's like, oh, I didn't feel like going to him today. Over and over and over this guy did. And so one day I told him, I said, man, you need to get some character. And he got a little bit upset at me. And he said, I've got all kinds of character. He said, I just don't use it, he said. You know, the truth is, it's so easy to become apathetic and not care. We like to say that we have character about ourselves. But how often we don't. It's not being used. If God would allow us to see souls that we know of that have passed on, that we knew were so lost, were lost. There's very few times that I read the story of Lazarus, Lazarus and the rich man that I do not think the thought that rich man is still there. We know loved ones and friends that have gone on to hell. And folks, we need to learn that we can't sit back and say there will be time. The time is now. The fields don't need to become any riper than they already are. You walk out those doors, you could knock on the first ten doors you come to, and I guarantee you'll find somebody lost. The time is now. We live in a world where we see three people die and go off into eternity every two seconds. While we've met here this morning, and throughout the time that we've been here, thousands of people have gone into eternity. And what have we done to reach them? Apathy becomes an enemy to evangelism. 
getting to a place where we kind of put eternity to the back of our minds and we don't like to think about it. I know that a message like this, some people say, boy, Brother Greg, this, this is a message. It's, it's depressing. It ought to be when it comes to us being concerned for the lost. It ought to be something that gets our attention and helps us to realize that there are times that we just don't think about the lost. We don't think about the eternality of, of, of the suffering that's going to take place. That This isn't something they go to for a period of time. But this is something for eternity. How many times we walk past people. <laughs> I hate going to Walmart. I hate it with passion. There's nothing I would like any more than to not ever have to go to Walmart again. I went there this morning because we had to get some stuff for lunch and some things that I get on Sunday mornings. That place was packed out. Everybody's scared. They're scared. And... uh, I'll be honest with you, I shed some tears before Sunday school this morning. Because I thought, how many of those people are scared because they just don't know what the future holds? The majority of them. How often we have opportunity, but we don't give any thought to, should I share the gospel with this person? Jesus told His disciples, Say not ye there yet four months. We don't have time to sit back and say, Well, we can do this when we get older. Or we can do this as we start seeing signs of the Lord's return. Can I tell you this? If you haven't seen signs of the Lord's return, you're blind. He's coming soon. And time is short, whether by death or by the rapture. Time is short. And this world is lost. Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. Verse number 38. Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. I've found this over the years. That usually when I'm praying for something that is of a spiritual need and God doesn't seem to supply the person to solve the problem, that that's usually because He intends for me to. A little over a year ago, Brother Everett finally got to a place physically where he could no longer do the nursing home ministry. He said, Brother Greg, I don't want to lose the opportunity we have over there. Can we just put a word out in the church and see if somebody could do the nursing home? And we did for several months. Brother Everett kept going and kept going even though he didn't, didn't feel like it physically. And we were praying about it. My kids and I would pray about it at home. Lord, would you send somebody? And finally the day came, Brother Everett said, I can't go anymore. I can't. I've got to let them know either we're going to have to give up having a service over there or you're going to have to have somebody come over there and do it. And it was on a Sunday morning. 
we left church that morning. I walked over. We took, I took my kids. We were going out to lunch. And I said, guys, it looks like we're going to probably have to give up the nursing home. Nobody came forward to do the nursing home ministry. And it was almost as if God just literally almost spoke verbally. And He didn't, but it was almost that clear. Well, why aren't you doing it? You know how many times that we pray that God will send forth the laborers? And the truth is, we're one of them. And we haven't realized it. How oftentimes God seemingly does not provide the labor because we're it. We're it. We're the one. Then I want you to notice lastly that there is opposition by Satan. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter number 6, if you will, verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul has instructed that since that's the case, we're to take on the whole armor of God. But the fifth enemy to evangelism is the fact that Satan opposes it. And I don't know if you've realized this or not, but if there's ever going to be something go wrong, it's going to be during the time you're getting ready to go out and tell somebody how to be saved. If there's ever going to be a distraction, it's going to be right in the middle of sharing the gospel with somebody. Have you ever noticed that? It's amazing. I went to this past summer, Jonathan and I were at a, at a youth conference, and we got out late one evening. It was It was late. And went to, the only place we could find open to eat was a Waffle House. We went in there. And the cook had had to run a friend of his whose vehicle broke down somewhere. And this waitress was in there by herself and trying to do the cooking and the waitressing. And I looked in the window and there's nobody in there except me and Jonathan. We're going to be the only ones in there. So we go in and we order our food. And I thought, man, here's a prime opportunity to share the gospel. And I began to share the gospel with this lady. There wasn't anybody. And this is 11.30 at night. Nobody in that Waffle House. Not even the cook. We got about four or five minutes into sharing the gospel with this lady. And all of a sudden, cars started pulling in the driveway. Jonathan will tell you this. We sat there for an hour. I was tired. We'd been up all day at a youth conference. We sat there for an hour and a half. Having already finished our meal. Having already paid for ours and almost everybody else's meal in there just to get them out of the place. So I could finish sharing the gospel with this lady. And just at the time the last customer left, the cook came back in and she had to go to the back and do her errands to work. You ever notice that Satan finds ways to distract? Because we know that, Paul says we're to take on the whole armor of God. We don't focus on that very often. That when it comes to winning people to Christ, we're engaged in a, in, a, in a... Abraham Lincoln called the Civil War the Great Civil War. Can I tell you this? We're involved in the Great Spiritual War. There's something that's going on there where Satan does not desire for anybody to be saved. Enemies of evangelism, disobedience, selfishness, false excuses or weak excuses, apathy, and satanic opposition. And folks, there's probably many, many more that we could come up with, but these are ones that I know the Scripture talks about and deals with. What is it that's keeping us from sharing the Gospel? I can see some and sometimes more than one of these almost daily in my life, something that comes up. 
But knowing them and being aware of them may help us to combat them. Saying, you know what, I'm not going to let that be a distraction. I'm not going to let that keep me from doing these things. Because the truth is, I'm almost, I'm two-thirds through my generation. If God gives me the length of days, I'm two-thirds through mine. I've got very little time to finish reaching my generation. And by the way, so do you. And what have we done? If I look back on this week, just this week alone, the last seven days, what have I done to reach my generation with the gospel? Have one of these enemies cropped up this week to keep me from it? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Pray that You'll bless it and use it. Lord, we don't normally give an invitation in the afternoon because it's more of a teaching time, but I believe that with the nature of this message this afternoon and the content of it, I pray that You'd help us to be sensitive to Your leading. I believe we will give a, a, a verse of invitation. And I pray that You would help us to be sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit as He guides us in it. And pray that You will have Your will and way done in our hearts as we look forward to the upcoming week. Bless and use the message and the truth from it as you would see fit today in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll just have just a verse. We're not going to take very long of uh, invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, perhaps you do business with Him, whether you come forward or pray in your seats, whatever God would have you to do. But perhaps we would have a renewed zeal, a renewed burden for the lost. Fathers, we dismiss in prayer. I pray that you'd help us to leave with the messages upon our hearts today. Those requests that we have mentioned of loved ones and friends and church family that are in need of prayer, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded regularly throughout this week to uplift them in prayer. Lord, may you provide opportunity this week to share the gospel, and may we take advantage of it, be sensitive to it, and recognize it for what it is, and be willing to share the gospel with those that have not heard. We pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. Give us safety as we travel to our homes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.